So Bill goes, he was okay. I'll say this. He actually did a good job. He did. Didn't mean to throw my pen around. So the guy did a good job. Here's the issue. And you ever, ever had this happen? Sometimes someone just has something they want to say, but they don't always understand the audience they're talking to. Do you ever have that happen? That's kind of what happened. So, not the end of the world. He did a good job. He had a lot of good things to say. He veered into one area that he probably shouldn't have stepped into. Of course, none of us have ever done that, right? So, and if you don't, I know there's a Catholic church over there, they have confession. If you don't want to admit that you've stepped into stuff you shouldn't step to periodically. Well, of course, the Lord also hears it when you confess. You don't have to go over there to talk to the priest. So, um, see, now I'm stepping into it. <laughs> All right. Very good. You know, it's just one of those mornings. My wife was looking at me going, oh, Andrew, this is not good. <laughs> you know how that personal telepathy kind of thing works? <sighs> okay, I should just be quiet and start again. Let's look at our notes. <laughs> She's going, yes, Andrew, that's absolutely correct. Okay, look at your notes. As we start and we come to this point, there's a number of things going on, and I just want to back up and rewind and then start where we are this morning. And we're going to start in particular at verses um, 14 to 24. We looked at some of 14 to 24 last week. We're going to talk briefly on that, and then we're going to keep on going. Now, the issue here going on is the writer to the book of Hebrews is wrapping up his argument in chapter 12. He's finishing his argument saying to the, the, the Jewish readers, guys, listen, you got to listen to the truth. You, have, you need to embrace, you need to step into Jesus. You, you're backing up and you're kind of creating space. You got to stop doing that. You need to step into, you need to lean into Jesus. Jesus is the way, he's the truth. He's the one. You got to listen to him, you got to pursue him, stop backing up. And then he finishes that argument and he presents this amazing chapter. Chapter 11 talks about all these issues of faith. And, and he talks about why faith is so important. It's impossible to please God without it. He talks about these amazing heroes of history and how they have walked and how they have lived in faith. And, and, and he says now, and then he, he, he does this, what appears to be this shift. And he says, starts talking about sin and says, you know, guys, you've got to deal with the issues of sin. And the reality is when they are backing up. Those are issues of sin. That's a sin issue that they need to address. They need to think about this because they're backing away from God. They're resisting God instead of leaning in to him. That's an issue of sin. And all this other kind of stuff starts to happen in that process. Okay? There's, there's this fear. I want to be liked. I want people to care for me. I want to have it safe. I want to be comfortable. I want to live an easy life. And so all that stuff is going on in that conversation. All that's contributing to their backing up. And then that whole conversation too. Listen, I don't want my family to reject me. I don't want my family giving me grief. I'm just going to lean back into this. This is my heritage. This is my tradition. This is what I know. That's what I'm going to lean into. And instead, so they back up from Jesus. And, and they're saying, listen, all of this stuff that's driving your decision, all of these attitudes, all these motives, all this stuff that's shaping this desire to back up, all of that is sin. You're giving all of that stuff space. You're giving all of that stuff credibility. You're giving all of that stuff validation. And what you should be doing is you should be asking, what's important to God? What's important to Jesus? And what's important to my relationship with God? And what's important to my having and walking in and knowing God for eternity? And you should be thinking about the issues of eternity. 
That's what's important. And so you should be leaning into Jesus, but all the stuff that's motivating you to back up, all of that stuff that's influenced and shaped with sin. And so then last week in particular, we talked about being disciplined. And, and being disciplined, not fun, but it's important. It's valuable. And when it happens, it's a really good thing. Because we are taught, we are trained. We are corrected and we're pointed in the right direction. We're encouraged to go in the right direction. And again, as, as he also says, what is, what is this crowd doing? It's cheering us on as we go in the right direction. When someone is running in the wrong direction, everyone's going, no, 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 go the other way. The other way the crowd stands and goes, starts pointing the other way. No, no. What's the crowd doing? The crowd is correcting the runner. The crowd is correcting the guy in the race. And and they and then he turns around and he starts running the right direction. Yeah, good. You know, cheering him on. It's a good thing. And so while we don't enjoy discipline, and why discipline is unpleasant when we are in the receiving end, and it's not really fun on the giving end either. Um, it serves a wonderful purpose because it trains us, it equips us, it instructs us, and it helps us to avoid a boatload of problems going down the way. Now, then we came in to verses 12, chapter 12, look at verse 14. And, and I, as we looked at that last week, I stopped halfway through this conversation. And so I want to kind of pick up where we are. And as he starts this conversation in verse 14, he says, but peace, pursue peace with everyone. He starts to talk about the stuff that goes on with us. And again, in the number of places, and there's a number of places in the book of Hebrews where he kind of leans in, he challenges the reader, and confronts the reader in their backing up from God. And this is one of those places where he does it. This is the last place it takes place. He says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no one, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling may, many. And make sure that there is no, isn't any immoral or, or irreverent, anyone immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he did not find any opportunity for repentance. We walked through that last week. We looked at that. But I want to come back to the conversation, a little bit of repentance, and I want to highlight something here. I've been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years. I have seen a lot. And the work that God has had me do, overwhelmingly, has been to go into churches that are struggling, failing, and having major problems, and helping to turn that situation around to address the issues that have led to all of that dysfunction, and help them to pursue, find healthiness, and to move forward in a healthy way. Overwhelmingly, that's the work that God has called me to do. In that, I would identify probably four big areas of sin. And you look over history and you, and you look at things that take place in our world and you'll see repeatedly these four big areas of sin. Sexual sin. He talks about sexual sin here and he's going to address it again a little bit further down in chapter 13. He's going to make a comment about it. But the whole issue of sexual sin. Bitterness. Huge. It's a huge issue of sin. 
We're going to come back to that in a second. Love of money. Huge issue of sin that just wipes people out and wreaks all sorts of havoc in people's lives and in churches. And then the issue of power. Power. People seeking power, seeking to be power brokers, people seeking to have little fiefdoms and little kingdoms in areas where they exist. Power. Look at our world. Okay? What's Russia doing? They're trying to assert power. Okay? It's about power. It's about control. You can, you can see it in so many different places. You see so many different places where people are trying to assert power and authority over others, control over others. It's power. And there's a way to wield power in a healthy spiritual way that honors God, and there are ways to wield power that dishonor God and it drive him nuts. Okay? Those are the four big areas of sin. And what's interesting is he deals with these things in chapter 12 and in chapter 13. Now, let's get back to bitterness. A couple things I just wanted to say here before I move on. This really is a big issue in a church. And the reason bitterness is such a big issue in a church is because people wrestle with the issue of forgiveness. And people get offended. Something happens that's annoying. Something happens that's irritating. And they get bitter. And this little word, forgiveness, doesn't get practiced real well. We really need to learn the whole idea of forgiveness. It's huge. See, forgiveness is choosing to let go of offenses. Forgiveness is choosing to let go of the hurts. Forgiveness is saying, I will no longer hold something against you. I will no longer hold an offense against you. I won't do that. But as I have lived life and as I've watched life, it's been interesting to me how many people, in a sense, find their energy and their strength, which is often very catabolic, it's destructive, it's it's damaging, but they find it from offenses and hurts. Look at our movies, look at our TV shows, look at the books people read. So often many stories have wrapped into them the the storyline of getting back at someone, getting revenge, retaliation, all of that kind of stuff. All of that stuff flows from the issue of bitterness. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get even. I'm going to catch up to you. I'm going to resolve this and make sure everybody knows. All of that is bitterness and all that flows from the issues of unforgiveness. It's really a big deal. Churches have been destroyed by this because they aren't willing to live and interact with a forgiving spirit. Now, At some point in time, every single one of us is going to both offend somebody in this room, and at some point in time, every single one of us is going to have something do something that's annoying. Going to happen. And in fact, it's not going to happen once. It's going to happen on a semi-regular basis. And it's not because people are seeking to be irritating. It's not someone is seeking to be a jerk. It's not because someone is seeking to poke and twist and, and annoy. It happens because it just happens. We're all flawed people. We all make mistakes. We all blow it. 
That's why forgiveness is so huge. It's huge. Choosing to forgive, choosing to forgive, choosing to forgive. Now here's something I've learned. Forgiving once is never once and done. Almost never. Does anyone here have memory? Raise your hand at me. Does anyone here have memory? Memory. Come on, raise your hand. If you got memory, come on, I don't see every hand up. Every hand should be up. We've all got memory. That's the problem with forgiveness. We've got memory. And the delete button doesn't work nearly as well as we would like it to. And we're driving the car. We're sitting in that special little room reading something. We have that, those idle down moments and our brain starts to run. And we go, you know, I forgave them, but it's really still annoying. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. Now, what do you got to do again? You got to forgive again. You got to forgive again. You got to say, no, I forgave that. I let that go. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to hold on to it. But this is where bitterness, how it starts to root, because we keep on picking it up and looking at it. And go, well, that's really annoying. We put it down. We have to pick it up again. You know, yep, that's really, it's really annoying. And what happens is we pick it up more often. And then maybe we start carrying it around instead of forgiving and letting it go, putting it down. We got, and forgiveness means up, put it down. Forget it up, put it down. How did I get this back in my hand? Put it down. And we got to put it away. We, we let it go. And we, and we set it aside and we choose to keep on setting it aside. We, it's that process of continuing to say, I need to live with that attitude. I need to live with that spirit of forgiveness. I got to let it go. It's huge, 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 huge. One other thing. Bitterness leaks. It leaks. It leaks like crazy. Do you ever go to the grocery store? You put something in the bag. You see one of those things that are sloppy, and so you take the grocery store bag, that little plastic bag from the like the produce section, you put it in that bag. And then you put it in your other bag. Now, it used to be terrible back in the day when we had paper bags. And then we went to the plastic bags, and now we don't have a clue what we're going to carry around anymore. But, but when you had those paper bags, also it was terrible. So you'd go to the grocery store, and then you would, you would get home, and the bottom of your bag is obliterated. Okay? And like, how did this happen? Or you have your, your plastic bag and you, you look in the bottom of your plastic bag and everyone is, everything in the bottom of the plastic bag is now slimy because that thing you put in that little plastic bag leaked all over the place. That's what bitterness does in your life. It leaks and it starts to seep into those other areas of your life. And it starts to create this edge and this attitude and kind of thing going on in your life. It's really, really destructive. And what's interesting to me, as, as, as the writer here talks about this stuff, he really only lands on two issues in this conversation as he's talking. Now he deals with some other things later on and when he has these closing comments and he hits these other things. But as he's dealing with this stuff in this conversation with these guys, he says, now guys, as I'm wrapping everything up and as I'm kind of coming to the big conclusion, you need to be really careful. 
bitterness and this and this garbage that Esau you saw with Esau, Esau this this sinful idolatry and, and, and irreverence. You got you can't have that stuff. You got to get rid of that stuff. You can't have it around. But bitterness was the first thing on his lips as he raised this issue. It's really a huge issue. And so I would really encourage you as you wrestle through this to learn to have a forgiving spirit and to let it go. And this is what Jesus helps us do. He helps us to let it go. Let it go. Now, does it mean we don't address an issue that takes place? No, we should address it. We see that in Matthew 18. And, and we walk through that process to address issues of offense. And there's an appropriate way to address issues of offense. But we need to let things go. And when we find out we still have it in our hand, we've got to put it down again. We've got to forgive. It's really that important. But then as he continues this conversation, he, he, he goes on. He says, for you have not come to what could be touched. And again, he's going to start to talk about the issues of faith. He says, he, he t- tells them to lean in. And, and he wants you to inherit the blessing. And, and he wants you to grab a hold of Jesus. He says, for you have not come to what could be touched. Then he goes back to the Jewish tradition. He goes back to Mount Sinai. He says, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word would be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal should touch the mountain, it must be stoned. And when you go back into Exodus in, in around 12, 13 in that zone, and you read about the, the, the God appearing to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. God God has them mark off the base of the mountain. God comes down and smoke and fire. The ground shakes and they can't cross the barrier. And then God says, Moses, come up. And then he says, Moses, bring up Aaron also. But tell the elders, don't cross the line because they cross the line, they're going to they're gonna die. And, and God just presents himself in this strong way. And and he's writing to these guys and says, guys, God's not showing himself right now that way. You know what's really crazy? Crazy, crazy, crazy? God showed himself to the nation of Israel in this huge, massive, earth-shaking, mountain-rumbling, fire, smoke, cloud over the mountain, and, and like, whoa, blow your mind, intimidate you like crazy kind of experience and moment in time. Within three months, they're worshiping the golden calf. And again, it's like, blows your brain. Like God reveals himself, God shows himself in this incredible, intimidating way where he, God's trying to say, I want your attention, I want you to know me, I want you to walk with me, I want you to pursue me, don't reject me, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. And so quickly, they turn around and they do something incredibly stupid. Guys, listen. Now, God's not showing himself that way. It says, The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But he says, instead of that, instead of what took place at Mount Sinai, you have come to Mount Zion, a different mountain. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, the city of the living God. 
Oh, I skipped a line there. To the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. To the assembly, talking about them, guys, if you're part of the assembly of the firstborn, your names are written in heaven. You read in, 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 in the, at the great white throne judgment, and what does God do? He opens up the books, the books of, and he says, in looking for those whose names are written where? In the book of life. To a judge who is God of all and to the spirits of righteous people made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. And he's painting a picture of a contrast. Guys, we have a different thing to different mountain to go to the old law the 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 jewish tradition the jewish law was the mountain of mount sinai god presented in this intimidating way god saying i want your attention i want your obedience i expect you to follow me i expect you to listen to me and god was presenting that to them and and what did Moses, what did paul say again and again and again i couldn't do it i couldn't keep the law i i couldn't do and fulfill the expectations that were given to me at mount sinai i could not do it. All those things that were given at Mount Sinai, they killed me. I couldn't do it. But instead, you come to Mount Zion. He's calling us to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is totally different. That place where people are made perfect. That place where people are made complete. That place where our names are written in heaven. That place where God draws us. And and that place where we can totally do what's being asked because it's been already done for us through Jesus. And what do we do? We learn to live in faith. We learn to hold on to him. We need to learn to walk with him. We learn to trust him. And we, and, but it's already done for us. It's a totally different mountain. It's a totally different place to walk with and meet with God. And he's saying to these guys, he's saying to the Jewish community, listen, you have been called to Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is done. And the, and, the, and the covenant of Mount Sinai is finished and we are no longer needing to live at that place of Mount Sinai we are called to the Mount of Zion that place where we can lean into and embrace and walk with and know Jesus so do that we've been called to something better way better and then he says something here at the end, which says, better things than the blood of Abel. Again, and to the, I'm just going to read the verse, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. What's really interesting is in chapter 11, verses 3, 4, 5, right around there, I don't know exactly where right this moment, is where he talks about Abel and how Cain killed Abel. And when you read the text and look what it says, and it says, and how the blood of Abel still speaks out about the issue of faith. But the blood of Jesus speaks out not just about the issue of faith, but he talks about the issue of forgiveness and hope in eternity. The message of Jesus is even better than the message of the blood of Abel. 
it's a better message. It's a richer message. It's a deeper message. It's a wider message. It's a fuller message. Because it's that full message of hope in life. Again, it's really interesting. I didn't plan it this way. Again, I say this often. I'm not good enough to figure this all out. Just so you know. I'm just not good enough. I try to listen to what the Lord says and I try to get in a sense of where he wants us to go and different things, which is really cool. But I'm not good enough to kind of think years in advance. I'm just not good enough. But it's really kind of cool that we spent all this time last year walking through the beginning of Genesis. And so we're going to talk about something that's great in a sweet spot of what we've already spent a fair amount of time looking at. And then he goes into this right here at the end of Hebrews, here, verses, verse tw- chapter 12, verse 25. He says, see to it that no one, you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we return if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven who's he talking about any idea Jesus. huh Jesus. no no who's the one who warned them from earth no he's talking about noah he's talking about noah and the flood for a hundred years noah warned a hundred years noah warned And then the flood came, and God destroyed the earth, and God destroyed all of those who lived on the earth except for Noah and his family. Now, he doesn't say that specifically, but you figure out as you're reading the text. He says, so see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, I believe we're talking about Noah, even less will we return if we turn away from the one who warns us from heaven. So what he's saying is, listen, if God didn't turn away from his judging those on the earth when they didn't listen to Noah... How do you think, we think now God is going to turn away from when the Spirit of God and the presence of God and Jesus who is now residing in glory sends us and sends a message from glory? You think now that as the message is coming from glory, God is now going to say, okay, you don't have to listen if you don't want to? He says, no. If the the message of Noah was binding, even more so the message of Jesus is binding. His voice shook the earth at that time. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And when that flood came, the whole earth was shaken. The whole earth was reoriented. The whole earth was reshaped. But the next time God brings judgment, the next time God acts on this big scale, he's not just going to move the earth. He's going to shake the heavens. Now it's interesting, you turn to Revelation. You go to chapter 21. And you start to read down in chapter 21, and what do you read? You read that there is a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. Now here's what's really cool. This is now this is nerdy but fun. I think it's really cool. Just kind of like the the courtyard is kind of nerdy but fun. This is written somewhere before 70 AD. The letter to the Hebrews. 
It's written somewhere before 70 AD. You know it's written before 70 AD because in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. When the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, all of the ways in which the Jewish people biblically would worship the Lord are destroyed because the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. It's destroyed. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Since 70 AD, not a single Jewish individual has worshipped God biblically according to the Old Testament. Not a single one. Because the biblical system requires a process of sacrifice. And God identified the location where that sacrifice should be, which would be at the temple in Jerusalem. In 70 AD, the Romans came in, they destroyed Jerusalem. As the writer is writing right now, the Jewish individuals, and he's writing to these Jewish Christians, and that tension that's going on in them between, do I back into my Jewish tradition? Do I still hold on to my Jewish tradition? Or do I lean in? Do I step in and lean into Jesus and hold on to Jesus? That tension is going on. But that tension is going on because the Jewish traditions are still taking place because this temple is still present Their world has not yet been turned upside down with the temple being destroyed. But this is what's so cool. The book of Revelation hasn't been written yet either. The book of Revelation doesn't get written, most people would say, somewhere until 90 to 95 AD. About 20 years or so after the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. But you see, we, we sit here now a couple of thousand years later and we've read the scriptures and we kind of have learned a systematic theology and we kind of know about end time things and we, we know that Jesus is going to come back and we know about the new heaven and new earth and we don't always think about that. But the reader here doesn't know what's going to be written yet in Revelation. He doesn't realize yet, and he doesn't know yet that God is going to be speaking through the, the, the apostle, John the Apostle, and, he, and there's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth. He doesn't realize that, but he gives the hint, and he gives the indication that's going to happen. He says, listen, God is going to shake everything one more time. This expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. And what is not shaken are those things that are eternal, those things that are spiritual, people. New heaven and a new earth, but people still remain. Therefore, since We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That which Jesus promises us cannot be shaken. It will not be lost. So often, people choose to set God aside. Because they're caught up and they're tied up in what they can catch and find and develop and build in our world. They can build a business, they can build a house, they can build a family, they can build a retirement account, they can build all these things, and they make that the focus of their life. They make all of those things their God, and they give all of their energy, all of their effort, all of who they are to building those things. But the reality and the craziness is they build all that stuff and they have all that stuff, and someday they're going to be sitting in the house at 70 or maybe 80 years of age, you're going to look around and they're going to realize, I'm going to die soon. 
and I don't know what I'm going to do because nothing of what I've done prepares me at all for what's going to happen when I die. None of that affects anything of what comes next. And it freaks them out. Because they have taken their time to be distracted. But as they get older, they realize all of that was a distraction and none of that prepares me or equips me for eternity. None of it. All of that stuff is going to get shaken. All of that stuff disappears. All of that stuff goes. And again, the old story, you never see a hearse following, uh, you never see a, a U-Haul following a hearse. And it's really, really true. They're gone. And everything they developed, everything they've achieved, it's, it's history. It's irrelevant to them because now they're in, a, they're in an existence. They're in a place where nothing they've done previous like that matters. What matters is what they do with Jesus. And all the stuff that goes on right now in the world, all of it can get shaken. All of it. Just gets sifted. Like you, you take the gray and you just... And you, and you see what comes out the bottom. And you see what's left at the top. And all it can get sifted. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Jesus is offering us something that cannot be be shaken. Our names written in the book of life, a presence with God forever in a new heaven and a new earth that cannot and will not be shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably and receive with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And he finishes this argument and he says, listen guys, I want your attention. I want you to listen to me. You are trying to straddle a fence and you're going back and forth and you're kind of playing this game in your life. And you're, and you're, and you're thinking, I'm going to hold Jesus a little bit of distance and I'm going to kind of back up into these traditions, this heritage, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to hang here. He says, guys, it doesn't work. Lean into Jesus. Grab a hold of Jesus. All of that took, took, took place at Sinai. It's old. It's done. It's history. It doesn't work. And God gave it to show that you couldn't do it. You needed grace. So guys, lean into and hold on to Jesus. We need to recognize that for us as well. We need to lean in and hold on to Jesus. It's Jesus that's going to take us in the next week. It's Jesus that's going to take us in the next year. It's Jesus that's going to take us into the next decade. It's Jesus that's going to take us into eternity. We need to hold on to Jesus. Nothing else is going to work. Because everything else is temporary. Everything else gets shaken. But Jesus does not. Now, chapter 13, he's going to walk through a number of things. Do you ever write a letter to somebody? And in that letter, you're talking about, a, you're, there's, you're, you're right for one or two things, and you, you kind of, in that letter, you talk about, you spend most of your time in your letter talking about those primary things on your thought process. And then he come to the end of the letter and says, 
Mom's good. Kids are good. And then you hit just a few couple real quick things before you close the letter. That's what's going to happen in chapter 13. He says, now there's a few things. Let's just touch on a few things real quick. Things, things just for your attention. Don't just be aware. Then he closes. But don't miss the main point. Don't miss the primary things. He's saying repeatedly again and again and again. And he finishes his argument. Guys, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. There is nothing that is greater than Jesus. Nothing in your tradition, nothing in your history, nothing in your heritage that is greater than Jesus. Jesus is the greatest thing ever. Grab a hold of him. And just as in your heritage, you've heard different things, be aware. Jesus is greater. So just in your heritage, you heard the tensions of Mount Sinai, walk away from Mount Sinai, embrace Mount, Mount, Mount Zion. And just in your heritage, as you've listened and you've heard the story of, of Noah and how the nation and the world chose not to listen to Noah, in the same way God is calling and he's trying to get our attention, he said, you need, they, you, 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 would, you would read the Noah account and you would go, why didn't people listen to Noah? Why didn't they listen? Why didn't they acknowledge Noah and help him build the ark? You, you know, hindsight is amazing. Foresight is often terrible. He said, now listen, Jesus is speaking in the same challenge and the same tensions there. You need to listen to Jesus. Just as they needed to listen to Noah, we need to listen to the message of Jesus. The same challenge, the same tension point. I don't know where you are in your journey. But I would encourage you to listen to Jesus. Listen to him. He's calling. He desires you to walk with him. He desires you to know him. And then he desires you to walk with him. I would encourage you to really consider Jesus and to embrace him. In our communication card, you can say, hey, I'd like to follow up and talk more. We're glad to follow up with you this week. Let us know. It's the most important thing. Just as we listen, and everyone should have listened to the message of Moses, we need to listen to the message of Jesus. I'm going to have a word of prayer. The music team is going to come up and sing. Our ushers are going to come and receive the offering from the back to the front as they pass you by. Feel free to stand and that way, but stay seated until they come. It's easier to pass the plate that way. But let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I say thank you so very much for the fruit and for the life and the hope that comes in Jesus. Father, for the whole tension point that we wrestle through in our journey, Lord, I would ask that you would be at work in us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.